Farmers are the heartbeat of rural America. Congress recently invested $20 billion in America's farmers and ranchers, focusing on conservation practices and profits for future generations. Today, these funds are at risk. You're squawking over $20 billion, that USDA program. It's investment into the future for everybody. If the funding was eliminated, it could hurt farms and families. Tell Congress, protect this generational investment in the Farm Bill. Learn more at investinourland.org. Paid for by Invest in Our Land. I'm not going to answer this question again. Believe all women as long as they're accusing Republicans. I support Vice President Biden. So he's in a very difficult position. And they found that the accusation was not credible. You know, on the issue of Joe, I mean, I can only speak to the Joe Biden I know. I believe Joe Biden. Creepy Uncle Joe. He's been a lifelong fighter. It looks a little tone deaf from where I sit. Okay, the whole civil rights movement. They don't know what they're doing. They do not care. And they are the only Hey, Nerdcasters. I'm Eugene Daniels, sitting in for Scott Bland. This week, the very strange virtual campaign trail of 2020. A new chapter in that virtual trail? Tara Reid's allegations against Joe Biden. Another thing I think that this has done for the Me Too movement that's interesting is forced it to debate what it means to believe women. It's a layered, complicated, and sometimes messy topic. So we're going to do a deep dive into the political ramifications of those allegations with politics reporter Holly Otterbein. It's complicated. It's tough. It's like... It is hard. It's a difficult subject. The issue of sexual assault is something that impacts all of us in some way. I know I have my own personal experience with the topic, but here we're going to look at this through a political lens because Holly and I are two huge politics nerds. So let's jump into it. The way that I've been kind of thinking about the 2020 campaign trail right now and the two men that we have, one as a presumptive nominee, both of them technically mm -hmm. as presumptive nominees, is that we have these two candidates who make me think of the Lady Gaga song, Applause. They are both of them who are constantly in need of human interaction and sometimes human validation in different ways, right? You have Donald Trump who loves nothing more than a rally and the energy that he gets from that. And Joe Biden, who is at his best when he's out and among people and like, you know, giving them hugs and, and, and listening to their stories and looking to their eyes. And we don't have that right now. It's been kind of a super weird start to the general election, right? It's so weird. I mean, there's no campaign trail. There's no trail for us reporters to go on. And I think for Biden, this is particularly a challenge because Trump has at least his, you know, has had his coronavirus briefings, right, which people have likened to rallies. Um, you know, they've been these sort of places where I think voters are almost like held captive um, because, you know, they're tuning in to get information that they need on this virus. And it in many ways has turned into like a rally, a campaign event for Trump. He's able to like take the airwaves by storm um, and do what he's always been very good at, which is driving media coverage. Um, so he has that, even though he doesn't have his official rallies. Um, Biden, like, he just doesn't have any equivalent to that. Um, he has not shown, you know, the same kind of knack for driving news coverage. Um, 
And on top of that, you know, we only have digital campaigning right now. And on virtually every measure, Trump is better on the digital front than Biden. When you look at like the number of Twitter followers that Biden has, like it's significantly fewer than Trump. Um, you know, Facebook uh, followers. Um, when you look at things like, you know, how many times their videos and things have been viewed, like Biden is just consistently down from Trump. Um, and he was, you know, basically behind other challengers in the primary um, when it came to digital campaigning. And yet he was able to win anyway. So, you know, we're in this new stage of the campaign um, where it's, you know, Biden versus Trump. So things are a little bit different. But it will be interesting to see, like, even though Biden clearly you know, is behind Trump when it comes to uh, digital campaigning, you know, maybe that doesn't matter. I mean, he's still ahead of Trump in all of these polls. I think about the visual of Joe Biden. Well, hey, folks, this is Joe Biden. And kind of like in his basement that I'm sure is a very nice I'm basement. I'm here in Wilmington, Delaware, in my basement. I'm excited to bring you our next compared to any basement I would be able to afford in Delaware recording <laughs> yeah. episodes of his podcast. Doesn't look like my basement. Right, for sure, right? Like, I don't even, I live in a basement, actually, <laughs> in, in D.C. So, <laughs> so, you know, he he's he has his books behind him and, and he's looking at a, a camera, it's whatever, but then you have the president who can have, like, town halls at the Lincoln Memorial. You mentioned, you know, his ability yep. to take over his, those coronavirus task force briefings or any appearance that he has and mix a little bit of campaigning and red meat with like governing and policy like nothing compares to the bully pulpit everyone says that of being president right exactly but then like on top of that massive bully pulpit you just also have trump who's been a genius at getting media for decades now right like he came out of the New York media. He is a creation of the media. And he knows exactly how to play the media to get attention. And it's it's been interesting seeing the parallel kind of of like 2016 when cable news ran his rallies like nonstop and then the coronavirus briefings and cable news again like being unable to resist Trump and just the entertainment factor that he provides. And that's such a huge boon to his campaign. Yeah, like I, I think that, I think about the moment when he was an on stage and they actually played this basically like two to three minute ad and everyone yep. in cable kept it going. Like it was still yep. going and it, it, it wasn't informational. It was literally just President Trump praising himself. And yep. cable news has still, you know, we're we're three years in. We're almost done, done with his first term. And cable news and journalists have still, while we've learned a lot of lessons, has still struggled with how to, you know, cover President Trump in, in kind of the way that he has chosen to operate as as governing and, and um, campaigning. Yeah, absolutely. And one of the things, the thing right now that the last couple of weeks has kind of taken over um, the campaign trail other than COVID-19 is these allegations from Tara Reid of assault against Joe Biden. Uh, first, Ali, I, could you give people kind of an outline of, of what the allegations are and, and what both sides have said up to this point? Sure. So Reid was a former uh, Senate aide to Joe Biden in the 1990s for a short period of time. And she claims that in 1993, he digitally assaulted her. And she says that she told her mother at the time, who has since passed away, 
um, her brother and a friend. And her brother and friend have corroborated that, that, um, you know, they say that she did tell them of an assault um, back around the same time of the alleged assault. And then um, recently, actually, uh, a former neighbor of Reed's um, says that, you know, Reed also told her um, about that. On the other side of things, Joe Biden, you know, vehemently denies this, says that it never happened. His former aides say that, you know, they were never told of any kind of allegation like this, even though Reed says that she she went to some of um, his former aides about at least about harassment. You know, they say that this this did not happen. So Joe Biden last week actually went on Morning Joe to deny these allegations himself after having the campaign deny them for some time. Yeah, he he was very quiet for almost a month of that time. And, and it seems interesting because you think now in the age that we're in when it comes to politics and, and um, the, the media cycle that you would kind of want to say something. You know what I mean? That you'd want to say something. He was criticized, I think, on the left for doing that. Um, for not saying anything and, and basically his campaign, you know, releasing statements and having different surrogates, you know, deny it for him. But we hadn't heard from the horse's mouth for a while. And um, you may not know this, but have you heard from anyone about like the calculation behind that? Because on one hand, it could be, you know, him allowing the the survivor to or the alleged survivor to have their day and, and to, to be able to say um, what they what they want and need to say. But it also could be a thing where he, you know, he kind of hoped that it would you know go away. It was like a delicate situation to have to deal with. Like Biden's campaign had to figure out, like, you know, he denies the allegations. But how do how does he deny them while also appearing respectful of the Me Too movement? And I think what Biden's allies would say is that he didn't criticize Reed, you know, didn't call her a liar, didn't make the kinds of comments about her as, you know, Trump has done with regards to his accusers. Now, whether or not Reed feels that way is a different question, but I think that's what Biden's allies would, would say as to how they kind of, you know, dealt with that delicate situation. Yeah, I mean, the left writ large has really embraced the the believe women aspect of the Me Too era and the Me Too moments that we've had. Um, so dealing with allegations during a presidential race seems to have been kind of tough for them to, to, to strike that balance, right? Like largely, they've been very supportive of Biden. Um, a lot of them saying that they just straight up, I, I believe Biden, I support him, Um Senator Kirsten Gillibrand, she is the Me Too senator, right? Like she is yeah. the the Al Franken slayer. She mm-hmm. called for his his resignation. Um, and this week, she's holding a a Women for Joe Biden event, like a digital event, right? So it is interesting to see how Democrats have have had to wrestle with this and and with calls that they may or maybe being a little bit hypocritical. Yeah. You know, you mentioned Kirsten Gillibrand. That's another example of kind of the challenge that this is posing to Me Too. Yeah. You know, let's get into Me Too. You've recently written about how the Tara Reid allegations have in some ways splintered some viewpoints in the Me Too movement. Would you say that's a fair characterization? Yeah, I think so. And and like another thing I think that this has done for the Me Too movement that's interesting is... um 
forced it to debate what it means to believe women. Right. Um, so I think like you were saying earlier, like that phrase was initially taken to be sort of like, you know, no excuses, like sort of applicable to like everyone in every instance. Um, and now some feminists are saying, well, you know, believe women doesn't mean believe every single woman because they're half of the human race. And, and, you know, you can't say believe every single person, but it means to begin with a belief that their allegations should be taken seriously and investigated and not just blown off. So the meaning of believe women has sort of changed or adapted, however you want to see it. Believe women until their allegations are properly investigated probably doesn't work as well as a slogan, though. (laughs) (laughs) That's good of a hashtag, yeah. Yeah, no, not as much. I think about the the Me Too movement at the beginning, especially on the left, how it was like zero tolerance, right? Yeah. And it feels like now what Democrats are finding out is that the zero tolerance is kind of a tough pill, especially when you have what they have said is the most important election of our time, right? Like that is something they have said over and over and over. And so now they're having to balance that in, in, a, in a really serious way. You know, I mean, some public opinion polls show something that's not really that surprising, which is that Democrats are more likely to believe allegations against, say, Trump, and Republicans are more likely to believe allegations against, say, Biden. Um, So I think, you know, one question for the Me Too movement moving forward is, you know, how do you deal with, um, you know, what appears to be, um, you know, opinions that are partly based, at least, on partisanship? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Are you finding that the split in the Democratic Party or on the left about this kind of Me Too moment with Joe Biden is split between kind of like the Sanders progressive wing of the party and, and the Biden more moderate wing of the party? I think that's kind of a way to look at it. It's a little bit more complicated than that. Um, so there was a poll that came out recently from Morning Consult um, that showed people Biden's response um, and denial of the allegations on Morning Joe and and then asked, you know, do you think that he should remain the nominee, essentially? And 40 percent of uh, Democrats under the age of 45 said he should not um, be the nominee after after these accusations. And that's, you know, that's basically Bernie Sanders base. Right. Um, he won over young people. Um in state after state. And so we haven't seen a breakdown of like what Bernie Sanders former supporters think in any of these public opinion polls. Um, but, you know, young people is a good like measure of, of his base. And so, so there's that, there's that divide. Um, but it's also, it's an age divide, right? Um, and younger people who I think also have been more attached to the Me Too movement and, and are more liberal, um, you know, have been more likely to say things like, you know, Biden shouldn't be the nominee because of this and have been more likely to view Biden's denial um, with apprehension. And we've seen this a little bit reflected, um, you know, among activists and aides. Um, You know, Elizabeth Warren, for instance, uh, came out and and said that she believes um, Joe Biden she was really 
just kind of straightforward with it, just said like, you know, she, she definitely believes him. Um, Ayanna Presley, who's seen as sort of a protege of hers, um, you know, she came out and endorsed Warren during the primary this year. She did a lengthy medium post, um, that I think was much more nuanced. Um, and, and I think that that kind of reflects the age divide in the Democratic Party over this. Now, I should say um, Biden's campaign and Biden's allies would say, you know, of course, that um, Democrats are are more likely to believe him because, you know, they believe that his allegations, um, you know, against him are, are just simply not even close to the same as the ones against Trump. You know, they point out that Trump has several accusers. Um, whereas Reed is the only uh, person who has come forward to accuse Joe Biden of assault like this. Now we know Biden was um, was in the news, you know, last year when he first launched, or really before he launched his campaign, um, with people like Lucy Flores saying that you know he had inappropriately touched them. But in terms of a full blown um, assault allegation. Reed is the only person who's come forward and accused him of this, whereas, you know, Trump has several accusers. Right. Oh, more than a dozen uh, accusers. And when you think about Joe Biden, Joe Biden is Uncle Joe, right? Like people have liked him for so long. And the way that people have engaged with him is in such a of like a kind of like a wholesome way. Like people you think about him um, during the Obama administration. Right. And just as like the happy-go-lucky vice president. Like, he just seemed happy to be there. He's happy they invited him to the party. Like, this is a big deal. Like, all of those things. But then there have, there, you know, there were allegations before Tara Reid about Joe Biden and inappropriate touching, right? Like, massaging and things like that. So, like, this isn't his first time. But largely during the primary, no one talked about that. Like, the left decided that those things, like, were kind of basically off limits during the campaign, which was really interesting. And so now they're having to deal with that in a in a, in a way that they didn't deal with it during the primary. Yeah, and it's in- interesting you bring up the like Uncle Joe image because um, you know when the inappropriate touching allegations first came up, some Democratic voters felt like that was just all a cynical attempt to besmirch his Uncle Joe persona. Um, and to hurt him, right? And and so, like, we even saw as, as far back as, you know, early last year, um, you know, some Democrats just saying, like, no, they they believed Biden. Um, they, they did not think that, like, these allegations were legitimate. Right now, we're also talking and thinking a lot about who Vice President Joe Biden is going to pick for his vice president, for the person to run with him. Um, we know that it will be a woman. Um, and something that's going to be interesting is that whoever he picks will have to answer for, explain these allegations, right? Unless in some strange world they go away, which I don't see them doing. And I have to think it is frustrating as a woman, a woman candidate, especially because com- Constantly, society looks at women to explain things um, when they know a man who was accused of inappropriate sexual behavior, right? To, to, to explain to the world why this man is okay and to kind of vouch for them. But for a candidate, it puts her credibility on the line in a serious way, right? Yeah, the um, 
the writer and feminist Rebecca Traster wrote about this recently. Um, it's kind of a double bind that some of these candidates are in because, or candidates, I should say, <laughs> vice presidential candidates. Is that what they are? Yeah. <laughs> kind it, of. It feels like it at this point. <laughs> yeah, they're they're like running for vice president, exactly. you know, to an audience of one. <laughs> But yeah, some of these Democratic women who are potential VP picks are progressive, are feminists, have been staunch supporters of the Me Too movement. And so at the same time, like that credibility, you know, among progressives, among feminists is now going to be used to help defend Biden from these accusations. And they'll never talk about it publicly, but it is an interesting challenge. And it's interesting to think about like what they're dealing with privately, perhaps, or what they're thinking privately. Biden, of course, said publicly that he was going to pick a woman. And now he has an, a number of women who are his potential VP picks going on television and defending him from these accusations. Um which is also in many ways, to be politically frank about it, like a boon for him that he has these people um, vouching for him. Let, let's talk kind of about the the Trump and Republican response so far to this. We know that President Trump has more than a dozen women who have accused him of inappropriate sexual behavior um, over the decades of him kind of being in the public life. So it seems like he has to toe a line that he typically doesn't toe, which is being a little more careful about how he does this, because no matter what he says about Biden, that's going to come back on him. Right. It kind of reminds me of of that kid's rhyme adage, like I'm rubber and you're glue and whatever you say to me, bounce off me and sticks to you. But in this way, they're both glue. Right. Like the things that Trump would probably say to another, you know, the things that another candidate, not President Trump, would say about Biden in this time, he probably can't say, at least not without having to talk about his own allegations, right? Yeah, and there, there's there been this interesting divide um, between the Trump campaign aides and Trump when it comes to responding to the Reid allegation. Um, because, like I had mentioned previously, um, you know, Trump's campaign is really highlighting what they are calling the hypocrisy of Biden and Democrats who have said that you should believe women who, you know, are now saying that they believe Biden. Um, but then Trump himself has really almost defended Biden in some interviews yeah. um, from these allegations. Like, I think at one point he actually said, I guess I'm defending him or something like that. Um, yeah, like he was surprised himself that he was doing that. Yeah, exactly. And, you know, I just have to imagine that that's just Trump. Like, I don't think that that's planned. Um, you know, I don't think he has some, like, master plan behind saying that. I think, you know, he's just responding to things when he's asked about them. And so it's an interesting, like, mixed message. Um, you have to wonder what the voters are going to take away from, you know, the campaign saying something different um, than Trump himself. And of course, the campaign says, no, they don't, you know, they don't have mixed messages. But that's that's clearly what's going on here. <laughs> um, and, you know, it also just reminds me of 2016, where, you know, Hillary Clinton faced the challenge of, you know, 
what she could and could not say or, you know, how serious a case she could make against Trump's alleged, you know, sexual assaults because of claims of assault against her husband, Bill Clinton. And remember, you know, famously, you know, Trump did the press conference with some of Bill's accusers and brought them to a debate. And so, you know, you have to wonder, is does, does he have anything like that up his sleeve for Biden? I mean, you know, he's saying, you know, that he's kind of defending Biden now, but we know that he can be rather creative when it comes to trying to psych out his opponents. And so, you know, I do wonder if, if Trump's going to try to do something like what he did with, with Hillary Clinton. When he brought out those accusers to that second presidential debate, that was after the, the Access Hollywood tape came exactly. out, Exactly. Right? So yep. at a time when things were very, very desperate for his campaign, people were calling for him to go away and for Pence to be the nominee, right? And so you'd have to think that now, if, if there's a possibility that things get desperate for his campaign as we get closer to people actually voting, that, you know, Maybe he'll switch on that. And maybe Republicans, you know, will switch on that because politics can get very dirty. And in 2020, I'm not seeing a happy-go-lucky campaign of hope and change around here. That's a great point. And, you know, Trump has never had a problem with, um, you know, accusing his opponent of something that he himself is guilty of or alleged to be guilty of, right? Um, Like, he has no issue with doing that. And so, you know, what... A normal candidate might have, you know, this problem with. He just simply does not. Yeah. The the thing that Republicans are really going to be able to do and what they've leaned in so far is the right to call Democrats hypocrites, right? They feel that, you know, Democrats have run around with this flag of believe women for so long um, and have not done the same when it comes to the Tara Reid allegations. And the most cynical, maybe not the most cynical, but a cynical Republican will tell you that's because they just care about the presidency. They just want to get Trump out of office. Um, that's that that's going to be kind of a field day for them. It has been a field day for them of, of the least calling Democrats hypocrites without talking about whether they believe Tara Reid. Yeah. And I just find it really interesting that that's what they've decided to land on is this hypocrisy. Um, and the fact that you know, so many Democrats really um, painted themselves as, you know, allies of Me Too, um, I think has has just made it different than, you know, you, you, the Democrats can't say in return to the Republicans that you've been such great allies to Me Too, and now you're being hypocritical by standing with Trump. Um, like, you just, you know, you, you simply, that, that doesn't work. Um, so, I yeah, I do, I think it's it's interesting to see them you know, focus on that alleged hypocrisy. Um, And I wonder what effect it will have on voters. Um, You know, I mean, one potential uh, goal, perhaps, um, of Republicans by doing this is just, uh, you know, tamping down excitement for Biden and trying to basically keep progressives and young people home, home, you know, and those are groups that Biden already struggles with. Um, so that yeah. could be one goal of, of trying to, you know, talk about this alleged hypocrisy. Mm-hmm. The thing that I think is going to be both wild and interesting and, and kind of a strange moment for uh, uh, Americans watching the debates in um, October is that both candidates are going to have these, you know, uh, uh, allegations against them. And it's going to be brought up. 
right? Like, it doesn't matter if the if if the terror read allegations go away, quote unquote, um, as we move into the summer. Um, but at some point, probably multiple times, the moderators are going to have to bring up the allegations of both Joe Biden and of President Trump. And that is just going to be, I mean, strange and, and such a weird thing to see. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I'm sure that Me Too activists will say that that's going to be like really challenging for survivors to have to deal with. Right. I mean, they've already said that this you know, these allegations and, and just having Biden and Trump be the presumptive nominees um, has been difficult for some of them. One thing that President Trump likes to do with the person that he's running against and kind of just like anyone he perceives as an enemy is to, which sometimes is us, um, he loves to try to tear them down, right? Like he's not the only politician that does that, but I think he does that as his gut instinct, which is to make them seem even more unpopular than he is. We saw it in 2016, Hillary Clinton had challenges with popularity before President Trump was the nominee. Um, But Biden has a presumptive nominee. He's a pretty popular both senator across the aisle um, and popular overall within the country. Like he has high approval ratings. Mm Do you think how different, how much more challenging is bringing down Biden's popularity going to be for both Trump and Republicans, even if it even outside of of these allegations? So I think the challenge is twofold. I mean, one, Biden is a nationally known figure for several decades, and he was the vice president to an extremely popular president. Um, And so it's hard to define someone um, or even change their image a little bit when the public has just known them for so, so long. Uh, You know, I mean, you saw this in the primary where Biden in some states didn't even hardly campaign, uh, but he won them anyway. Um, And I think that that, you know, a large part of that is because like he is already so known and beloved by um, many, many Democrats the other challenge for for Trump and Republicans and trying to bring down Biden's popularity is that actually among those who dislike Trump and Biden, they support Biden. Most of them support Biden over Trump. Um, you saw the reverse of this in 2016, where, you know, lots of people didn't like either Trump or Clinton, but most of those people that disliked both candidates voted for Trump. Um and so I think that that's, that's a big challenge. You've seen this actually in um, some polls recently, too, where there was a poll out by Monmouth this week that said that of those people who think that the allegations, the read allegations against Biden are probably true, a third of them are voting for Biden anyway. So there's mm-hmm. some group of, you know, voters who just loathe Trump enough that they are looking past these allegations that they themselves believe to be true. I mean, that's, that's a really, yeah. that's, that's some strong emotion. That's going to be, you know, I, I don't know how you move that person. If you're Trump or a Republican, the best that you can hope for is that they will stay home, but they already dislike Trump so much that they're telling pollsters that even though they believe Reed, they're going to vote for Biden. Right, right. There was polling showing that the number of Democrats and Republicans who think that 
uh, politicians should step down if they are credibly accused has gone down hmm. in the last few years. Interesting. And so, like, I don't know. I'm just intrigued by that. It seems like a sign that the Me Too movement is weakening or changing, adapting, right. however you want to, like, put it. Holly, this is the first time since the Me Too movement that the left has had to weigh lesser evil voting when it comes to sexual assault allegations in a national election. Mm. Yeah, I mean, lesser evil voting, quote unquote, is something that the left has debated for a long time. And it feels like this is just another version of that for those who believe Reed's allegations, I should be clear, right? So, like, Noam Chomsky, for instance, the famous leftist, um, has, you know, in this election, in the 2016 election and other elections, has advocated for lesser evil voting, um, you know, where he says, like, you know, of course, in his view, Biden sucks for any number of reasons, but Trump is such a massive problem that you should vote you know, for Biden. So this is, I mean, this is something that's been debated on the left for a long, long time. And this is just one version of it, I think. And you see, you know, there was a a column in the New York Times by a feminist um, that said she believes Reed and she's voting for Biden anyway, because, because she so opposes Trump. So I think that like, this is kind of a conversation that in many ways um, has just been going on for a long time. Thanks for, I could talk to you about this for 800 more hours, um, but I think we can leave it there. Thanks so much for joining. This was this was really great and I'm glad to have you on it particularly. Thanks, Eugene. All right, before we wrap up, here are a few other things I've been watching this week in political news. First, more astonishing news on the labor market front. On Thursday, the Labor Department reported 3.2 million more Americans have filed initial jobless claims last week. That totals out to 33.5 million since March. Guys, that is one in five American workers. And the Secretary of Education, Betsy DeVos, has unveiled a major and very controversial overhaul on the way colleges and universities handle sexual assault. First, it would establish dating violence as a sexual misconduct category, And it would also mean that schools would have to hold live hearings and both the accused and accuser can be cross-examined. And a fun one and a reminder for all of us working at home. The subject matter of the call ranges to the topic, then the call is transformed. Put yourself on mute when you're not talking, whether you're in a meeting or, you know, oral arguments for the Supreme Court. All right, that's our show. Our producer is Annie Rees. Our senior producer is Ginny Ament. And our executive producer is Irene Noguchi. Our illustrator is Bill Cookman. If you're listening on Apple Podcasts, do us a favor, leave a review. It helps new listeners find the show. Scott is out for the next few weeks on paternity leave, but we have a bunch of great guest hosts coming up. See you soon, and thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.